though we're talking about the apocalypse, um, <laughs> and the generational gap, and before before we get that deep, my name is Jonathan Matos. And this is Melissa Matos, and he did not warn me that we started recording, so I have to... Because this is gold. Hang on. This is... We need to harness this. You power. need to harness this about Gen Xers living in their digital because, white towers? White because towers? what M- Melissa was discussing was how you can cast things now to televisions. And what, what's funny to me is that mine comes less... Because my generation is more... Cons- I was saying, we keep thinking the world's going to burn, and she's like, but we can roast... Hot dogs on the Ember. <laughs> um, but my my and my still be Twinkies. My people, uh, uh, low low resolution thinkers though they are, are are more concerned with the political upheaval, and and things of that nature, racial tension. Um, but as far as the technology goes, my my fears come from the Fahrenheit four fifty one thing, of we have so many ways to share information, but we're using it in increasingly trivial ways. <laughs> so what's exciting is that there are still people who I feel like would not have a voice otherwise, who are now able to, like, we always preach the gospel of Jordan Peterson. Yes. And, like, I have, there are people that actually talk about, you know, books in a very intelligent way that I watch uh, on YouTube. Like, these types of things would not be successful on their own but there's a small, you can fall, find small tribes that are surrounding the fires of our apocalypse. To be cynical, uh-huh. ideally, the reason that these things used to be policed, not that they used to be policed, but the, the original way things were published was uh-huh. you went to an, you know, you went to the man, and the man decided if your thing got published or not, because... Mm-hmm. Ideally, the man was supposed to be intelligent enough to know if your thing was worth publishing or not. Right. <laughs> As opposed to, um, you know. Yeah. Not, now there's a there's anything a, that you want to put out can get put out, and yeah, it's free there's no to do barrier so, to entry, and there's no yeah, so everything gets put out. And production, so there is this production wave, equipment is much more cheap than it used to be. And waves of nonsense mm-hmm. so so not that i do not this is a, take in this nonsense hey, but this is a good way to set up this thing because what what i'm proposing this episode to be framed by because i'm not as much of a uh a enthusiast about steampunk stuff and i feel like just doing like a primer is kind of like i i would rather talk about the strengths and weaknesses of a thing Yes, and my my entryway into it is talking about how it's become such a niche thing, mm-hmm. and how it gets marketed. And so we're going to start a series now called on branding, or on brand rather, and uh, we're talking about Mortal Engines today. We both went to see it, and um, what what's interesting to me about it is that YA now has become such a broad thing that it's attracting people to the movies, in fact, attracting people to the, the books that come out. It's such a broad thing that you get different representation, like, there's so many now different subgenres that are coming out, and, and, like, if you just have pretty young people doing things, <laughs> it seems like, hey, let's make a movie, you know, this is a cash cow now that we can do. And so, what you're starting to get is that whenever I see now young people in a sci-fi or fantasy environment, I immediately think of it very cynically as like, oh, just because this genre is popular, just because these people, they they have these people's dollars and they can, they envision these young people coming from all over with their money to give to them that you don't really get as much quality in it because you're not, you're just rushing these books to edit, to be adapted into movies. Yeah. And, but but what's interesting to me is that this one, when I saw that uh, Peter Jackson and the people that um, that helped him make Lord of the Rings, the the at least the visual arts department, <laughs> um, and like the a director that I guess he trusted, he he produced the movie. He wasn't really the one who directed it. I'll I'll look up the director as I as I preamble this. Um, 
the the idea that they spent the time to make this visual the visuals of it was an interest and that was enough to interest me into going to see it and being willing to talk about it. But describe to me as as succinctly as you can what the evolution of steampunk as a genre. Like and what like your entryway into it. How do you feel like you first started hearing about it and then how do you think it's evolved in in popularity? So I don't exactly I don't exactly remember how I got introduced to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very like organic. It wasn't right. like one. It property. was like one particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept is that you know usually it's an alternate history of the world story right. where technology has basically been frozen before electricity becomes the main source of powering things. Right. So the main source of power for everything still tends to be a steam engine of some kind. Uh, And so everything is very clockwork and gear oriented rather than computer or, or, you know, circuitry oriented. Um, And as a result, they also tend to keep a lot of societal things very uh, tied to that era of like just the beginning of industrialization. So things tend to be very usually Victorian themed, but not always uh, England themed. Um, so there tends to be a lot of, you know, layered strata society still. There's like, you know, the upper class is, a, is very stratified and there are still mobility and it's all very, uh, there's a lot of social, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Disparity? Disparity is, is part of it, but there's a lot of like, you know, ritual or whatever you, that you have to go through. Mm that's still there, you know, it's not anyway. And then most of what attracted me to it was the aesthetic of it. Like Mm -hmm. I like the Victorian era and I like what they do to the clothing and to Mm -hmm. the scenery and the world building usually um, based on those things. I tried to read what were considered some of the original books relating to it Mm -hmm. and was very turned off by the books. Okay. Because the the two I tried to read with one was Mainspring, and one was um, what's the other one called? I forget the name of the other one now. But Mainspring I know has been cited as one of the original books mm-hmm. written in steampunk fashion. Right. Um, and the world is really cool. Like literally, the Earth is on a gear, and is on a track around the sun. Like, it's this big mechanical universe. Right. Um, And the gear inside the Earth is winding down, and so this mechanical angel comes to the hero and says, you need to go rewind the spring in the middle of the Earth or it's going to stop. But then it turns into this very episodic, weird, very literary story, Mm -hmm. which is not what I was expecting. I think of steampunk, and I think, oh, it's like an adventure story Mm. set in this nifty niche world right which is why i liked jim butcher's <laughs> story mm, right. the aeronauts windless which was an adventure story set in a very steampunky setting mm-hmm. and i think that's the, so one thing i can probably compare it to is uh cyberpunk yes because cyberpunk other than blade runner there's nothing really and that that's not really mainstream in, in the sense of like it's kind of like this you either love it or hate it right. thing. Um, and certainly at the time, nobody went to see it. And then later on, it became kind of like a cult classic that people that really liked it, you know, love it. Um, but similarly, it started as a literary convention where, um, like, the Neuromancer is seen as the progenitor of cyberpunk and it became a literary genre. And so rather than taking off into movies and comics, even though there are movies and comics based on cyberpunk, it never became like a mainstream thing to where like with sci-fi, maybe you think of star Wars as like a definition of your sci-fi or you think of star Trek or there's different things to, 
you know, it's it's not that niche, right? In terms of it, the people that like it. Um, but I, but it the thing I think is interesting, and I don't know that cyberpunk necessarily cyberpunk might do the same thing. Where with steampunk, there are I mean, there's conventions for it. Mm-hmm. You can go to the steampunk world's fair, uh-huh. or uh, there are like there are bands, music like indie bands. Mm-hmm. that are set around that aesthetic. Mm-hmm. There are people who go way overboard doing costumes and like right. full-on mechanical arms and stuff that actually works the way it would have worked in that. Like it's a very much an aesthetic making right. creative culture without necessarily saying this is, you know, the fandom that we are. Like right. we're, we're a fan of this show or we're a fan of this book per se. It's more mm-hmm. of we're a fan of these people or this right you know well, that's, how, so, that's how i've seen it i mean i might be totally wrong i'm missing a good book out there that i don't know yeah. about, but. but that but what's funny about it is that as a as somebody well two things one i don't i don't care what i look like <laughs> and so as somebody that does not focus on aesthetic at all it's something that it's hard for me to get into because it's so associated with people that like to do these elaborate costumes and this kind of like cultural thing. And then like there, there even, even the parts of it that are like, okay, so this, if you're going to do this to a story, a lot of them have this association with the Victorian era. Right. And it's not really a time that fascinates me in terms of thinking about a story set in this thing. Um, and so what's interesting about it is that I feel like because of this rise in young adult um, dystopia stuff, it's kind of been associated now with this, these like hyper niche thing. And I think unfairly what will probably happen is that a lot of people like me that talk about the, like these are the basic parts of a story and there must be something desperately wrong with how this story works that is why it's failing like whenever one of these like it flopped it it like lost a hundred million dollars unfortunately but what i feel like a lot of people are going to do is be like oh this is just another one of those stupid cash grabs after hunger games but what i think people will have missed is that there are a lot of diehard fans of this thing and maybe what the what the people could have done better in terms of marketing is to make this seem like, like when we were watching it, like a, a, an engineer's version of Star Wars. Right. Like, what if Star, what if Star Wars focused much more on on the planet side and on? Uh, sorry. Well, like, well, it seemed like part, like part of what's interesting about steampunk is there, there are people that t- care about technology. And so, like, for example, like, I could see a, a nerdy girl who is into science and it maybe into engineering specifically liking the aesthetic of wearing all this Victorian type stuff. But it's not saying, you know, I'm like she can she is allowed to be nerdy about the, all this, like this historical stuff and this, you know, engineering stuff. And the characters in it, the one main character is very much like a, a tomboy and very, um, you know, uh, aggressive and, and very assertive and, and you know, um, much like a typical guy hero would be. But then the guy is very interest, very nerdy, very interested in engineering and in science and stuff like that. And they have to learn to work together. So I feel like that the movie kind of tries to appeal to that niche of like, we're creating this world when nobody really, I think it doesn't translate to them right away what steampunk is. And so when they see these big mechanical things, it might speak to the nerd, the nerd that likes steampunk, but it's not speaking to those people people that, because like, so like, for example, mom hated Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Mom, our mom was uh, aware of the Bakshi movies, which, if anybody has seen those, yeah. they're not 
a representation of what the book is and what the storytelling is. They try to make it like this weird amalgam of they try to keep all these like dark seedy elements of it, but it's also very like includes the music and they try to write original music for it. Which was it's a very weird hodgepodge. But it was the movies were of such a quality that they showed her what the story really right. is about. Right. It's about these hobbits who are very innocent people having to deal with the world's prop this this thing on a world stage and because of their innocence they overcome this like insurmountable problem. So uh so I'll I'll start getting into the movie. There's nothing else we want to say about the uh steampunk thing and then uh, at some point we'll get into our admirals. But what hit me right away with the main character, um forget what her name was. Um, but Esther. you see, Esther. So you see her on all the posters, and she has this red scarf, and these she's mean mugging the, <laughs> she the passersby, and that's my that's my first note is she's very good at mean mugging the camera, <laughs> and uh, what what's set up is that, uh, and this is what I was kind of saying was like the first trailer showed the basic premise of these predator cities. And it's, it's really trying to get you to be impressed by the visual of a, a large city like London on tracks, on tracks, which was pretty cool looking. Yeah. And, and like, I thought that that was a cool idea premise and it's eating this smaller city. And so the second trailer was kind of what you get with the exposition of this, where there was something called the 60, 60 minute war, because there were all these quantum, um, rather than being like nuclear weapons, they're what they call quantum weapons, and uh, they destroyed like most of civilization. And the the civilizations that survived were these cities that got onto these tracks. They created these like mobile towns, and they start you know scrap. There are some that are scavengers, and there are some uh, that are more industrious, and some like London that have all of these resources and they have enough to even like, they have a museum. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> it seems like a very like Marxist thing. Yes. <laughs> and maybe we'll get into that. Well, no, That's not kept, really the point of, he actually had a term. It was, it was, was it civil, civil Darwinism, municipal, mm. municipal Darwinism. Right. Because it was whatever the biggest, you know, survival. But that was it. What was interesting to me was that he was supposed, in the eyes of the city, he was a liberal, forward-thinking person. And he was telling the municipal Darwinism is dead. Right. But he was actually a psychopath. Yes. So we'll get to that. What it starts with is her, uh, Hester, in this smaller city, and she sees London on the horizon. And what impressed me about it's kind of like when you see Luke. She and wasn't warning them. She didn't tell them that it was coming. I was thinking that you said that last night that she was going to warn the town. She didn't warn them. She wanted to get on it. Oh. Uh, well, anyway, so we'll, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> my my point is that what was what like it's kind of, so he, he actually this makes this more apropos because in the beginning of Star Wars, which I'll be saying this a lot during this yes. episode. But bear with me. At the beginning of Star Wars, Luke is not doesn't want to be a Jedi. Right. He actually wants to be uh, a tie fighter pilot. Uh, uh, yeah, like a stormtrooper. But what you identify with is this desire, this ambition that he has, this desire to go beyond the farm. Right. So you connect with him when he's looking at those twin sons, and there's a moment like that in the movie where she's looking at this huge thing and she doesn't she's not afraid at all she's like sees this thing and it's like i'm getting on that crap <laughs> i'm getting on there and it, it it endears me to the character whereas like if we had just been introduced to tom i would have been like holy yeah like, like, this is it. <laughs> really we're just gonna follow this dude but like i was really impressed by her and i thought that that was a cool way of showing that she's determined like she's swinging all over this really cool looking, you know, steam ship thing, steam city. So what, what were your impressions of when you first 
see her and the, and the, the visuals and everything. But where, did you feel like you got sold on it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked the visuals a lot. And uh-huh. I, I will admit, I am a sucker for pretty CGI. Uh-huh. And that was pretty cool. Mm. Um, she was doing a lot of good work with just her eyes showing. Yeah. And, and like, I'm going to kill you. I just need to figure out how to get over there. And then you're dead. <laughs> that was totally what her eyes were saying. Um, I didn't mind Tom. I liked him. Oh yeah. So how? So before before he gets introduced, there's a joke. <laughs> oh yes, and, and apparently I am the only one who is a fan of the cheesy jokes. But <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're uh, we'll try to avoid major spoilers trying this, but I want to hit some of the major story beats so we can discuss the movie in a thorough manner. But one of the things that I don't mind giving away because I thought it was a stupid joke, and nobody else left. I laughed Melissa. out loud. That's great. <laughs> there was. There, there is a museum on on London, and they, because they're going full speed trying to case to chase this smaller city. What do you say it was like Bavaria? Yeah, little Bavaria. They were in the middle of Europe, chasing around little towns, uh-huh. little Bavarian trading towns. Right. They were chasing this little John down, and excuse me, um, it's like shaking the whole city. Excuse me. So the museum owner. Is like hold on to the American deity Deities. artifact, like, no, the deities which the line bad. itself was also very clunky. Yes, they go over to it and it's minions. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny because it's ridiculous. Yes, and I think that like having I don't, I guess maybe that kind of joke later on in the movie once you've established what your tone is. Yeah. Because they is a little serious, bit more acceptable. It gets a lot more seriously dramatic later on. Right. At the beginning, but at the beginning, I was just like, "Screw you, movie! <laughs> you haven't won me over yet enough to earn this joke." But Melissa but it enjoyed was, it, it, so was, it was who, a great who way to judge? throw in there really quickly that that they are on Earth. It is here. You know, oh. it's not some alternate planet. It's yeah, I could see history. It I could see like if you're thousands taking thousands of years past what we were. Right. If we were to take Sophia to that, yes, that is a good way to describe to like a, a a child who is old enough to see the movie, but maybe not old enough to catch all, all the information that. coming in the exposition. Um, that's a good way to illustrate that, but it it was a bridge too far. Anyway, but you get so they're like, "Where's Tom?" And it's like they set up this thing. We've seen it in hundreds, thousands of movies. We're like, "Where's the, you know." Plucky, but but always late and bumbling hero. Yeah, was like, where's Tom? And he. Although I did like that they set up Kate that way as well, like at the same time, because I liked mm-hmm. Kate as well. Right, or you, you keep you keep jumping. Sorry. <laughs> so yes, he's giving. They set up that there's this girl Kate who is, uh, the daughter. Wait. Yeah, the daughter of the. Well, I don't know if they set that up yet. They don't. I, they don't. I think that's a reveal for yeah. Tom. Yeah. So anyway, so I'll. Let that go. But that Kate is, as far as we know, somebody who is who important. Tom likes and who is important. And he's giving her a tour of the museum. And I, I agree that like with her because of her character, and th- this is a very good like this is a good compliment to Peter Jackson and the story team that that worked on this that. Having somebody who knows Tom and who likes Tom and, but also, but by contrast with her, you see his weaknesses and his, like, how that, how she, like, this, there's a comparison between how she treats the lower classes, lower classes versus how he does. And it's not, he is a lower class person though. Right. But when, when she meets the, they run into this guy oh, yeah. who's in like the trenches, really, and he. It seems like he feels put upon by running into the, the guy, and it's and it's interesting because it it doesn't show that he's. It's just very much like like this is how guys are when they're like a little prissy, because it's not like he's like Ugh, don't touch me or something, but he's like, oh, we're running into you. You're not that important to me as a person. And that, but she's like taking the time to like you know help him pick up stuff, and it shows that he has some growing to do as a character. 
So I liked that that you meet him and Kate, and um, they he t he tells her about um, the nuclear like the sixty minute war thing, and that they have some leftover tech from this thing, and he's like waiting for the opportunity to just destroy all of it. And he wants to make sure that it gets in the right hands. But there's this much more, and that's another thing, is that they introduced this bully guy who is obviously likes Kate and is looking for weaknesses in Tom to exploit. And he, overse he oversees that this technology, you know, is there. Um, so all all this dynamic, did, did any of it seem like, like YA nonsense at all, or do you think no, that they, they was, pulled it off? I thought they pulled it off. Mm. I mean, like you said, the jokes were a bit chintzy. Uh -huh. But I was actually, I, I really enjoyed how they set up all those different characters in a dynamic way. Mm. It wasn't just, you know, oh, there's that dude and he's the bully. Like, uh -huh. they didn't say anything. They showed it all very well. Right. They were not telling you a lot of stuff. Right. And yeah, and that's that was my problem with when we watched... Um, like Maze Runner, was that like they they asked you to accept a lot of stuff, and they just moved on. Right. I as, mean, they went a little into the tech as like a bit of an info dump, but it wasn't like, oh, here's this kind of thing, and here's this kind of thing, and don't put these two. Like it wasn't. It was just like this stuff is bad and can blow up the world, and I'm going to destroy it in the right. story. Next thing, like right, and that that was interesting because it seemed like he's a kind-hearted. He's good. In, he's well-intentioned enough. That he knows that this is important and should be handled correctly, but not like world wise enough to realize like you shouldn't be telling it everybody about this. Right. And like that that I thought that that was it didn't I didn't fault his character for like, you know, being like I trust this person. I'm going to tell her about this, and it it was a good way to show the the characters at home <laughs> that um, the people at home that like this is something that needs to be dealt with. This is our MacGuffin for the evening. Yes. Um, so they run into Valentine, and this is where he made kind of like the the thing of like, you know, we have I've been finding and that was kind of an interesting way to do it because he's like he runs into Valentine who is the bad guy Hugo Weaving and in all the trailers, um, and you find out that she is Kate's father, and he like looks up to this guy, so he's like I've been finding all this old technology from you know the past from you know he like shows him a toaster and that was a cool way of like them bonding in such a way that like he has a real corny line where he's like they were playing with fire and it's like why are you you don't need why to do this keeping everybody up? yeah <laughs> but like even that said like that moment of even then, like, I can see how he's, like, trying to, he's trying to earn this kid's trust and be, like, I'm somebody who, know, like, I, that's kind of that what I was setting up, that liberal sensibility, like, you, you can trust me with all of this stuff, and I'm even keeled and, like, that you, maybe that wasn't the best line read, but to, <laughs> the idea of, like, you know, this is what I think about the, the way that they did things in the past you can trust me with more information. That was kind of a cool way to set up them. Yes. And, and their dynamic together. Um, but you get, uh, that, um, he, uh, Hester has, you know, gotten onto London and is trying to, like they show, you know, all this is in the trailers. Um, she tries to kill Valentine but um, Tom is like, you know, interfering. Yeah. So so she he pushes her off the thing well, into falls. this. She willingly. Oh sure yeah. So Tom 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 gets past Valentine gets to her first and is like and she tells him like ask him about my mother. He does and like did that seem kind of stupid to you or do you think like do you try do you. Did you blame him for not thinking that this guy's a little creepy? Or do you think, like, at that point, 
Like, I think in that situation, I'd probably get pushed, too. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, because he was, so he was like, okay, I just saved this guy, and obviously this lady was crazy, because Valentine is such a big, important person in London, mm. that, you know, even if he seems a little creepy, you still just think, oh, well, it's because he's this, you know, big, important person, right. he has to do with scary He has more on his mind than... Yeah, than just this. And, and, and he was just talking, like, you know, she was saying all this crazy stuff, and he was, you know upset and, and excited because he'd just been on this crazy chase and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So he thought, oh yeah, I could trust this guy and tell him. Now, I would probably actually blame Valentine a little bit more. And this is where you get into these muddy waters where like, okay, so we this guy is a psycho. And psychopaths don't always think logically. Yes. <laughs> They're, they might enjoy killing a little bit more than they enjoy, you know, getting, you know, like if you actually study psychopaths, some some people some of them seem like they want to get caught. They like talk to the police and everything like that. So things along those lines. But like if she didn't, if he didn't believe her, he didn't really have to push him off the thing. No, but he does. And the guy that Tom was kind of, uh, you know, not really talking. The guy that her and him and Kate ran into. Not not the bully one, the other no, one, the, other the, one. the proletarian. The proletarian. <laughs> um, he watches this go down, and so uh, you get that you know he he's now with Hester, and he has to work to, um, kind of like he's he's like that. I like that setup of like him being somebody that was was, um. Like, because of what Valentine did, he's like, I, I need to see this through. Right. And the more that he risked his life to, you know, uh, be with Hester, the more she learns to trust him. And I feel like that was a good, like, that setup is much more interesting than what we get in a lot of YA right. things. Like, in Maze Runner, you get that weird, like... I remember you from like yeah we were both villains together in yeah don't you remember this weird we science experiment thing and it leagues about like something and like Twilight minds it was just kind of more like well you have a van and we're going away from where I want to be so I guess I'll put in with you people mm-hmm. it's like usually a very thrown together I guess I'll trust you because I have to kind of thing right but this one I think they did a lot of proving to each other that they intended to follow through with whatever they were doing. It mm-hmm. wasn't just, okay, I'm stuck with you for now. Cause she could have just left him there. Mm. Same thing with him. Like they both at different points had opportunities to ditch each other and chose not to. Right. And it's for, and I'll give the movies credit as far as this goes, that it wasn't. And it wasn't like a romance And it wasn't marketed that way. Right. So that, that's one thing that I'll give them points for is that it wasn't seen as like this is the love story of the century. These are two people who like became good friends and um, cared, cared enough about each other to risk their lives right. for the other person. Um, but you can, you can make the case that even if they were going to get into all the love stuff, the, they set up at least that the these people are believably nice enough that they would risk their lives with this other person because they feel like that person is a good person. Right. And it's not necessarily that, you know, they, it was insta love stuff going on. Uh, yeah, but pro dude knows what's up. What? <laughs> because he, the, the proletariat guy knows about the stuff that they're working oh, yeah, on. Yeah. And so when Kate starts sniffing around, he's like, yeah, they're working on something. I'm keeping my nose out of it because yeah, it's above is. my pay grade. They're working on something up there. Um, right. And so, so yeah, so we get this this setup that, uh, through uh, like an extended flashback thing that uh, Hester and mother was uh, had one of these quantum uh, had a piece to it. The yeah. quantum weapon. And Medusa. It's the Medusa. Yeah, and th- that was a, there was a tie between him and uh, her and Valentine that I feel like were really 
ham-fisted. Again, think Star Wars, and you're going to get it. <laughs> um, there's a lot of setup where uh, you you get, like, some, some hints that Valentine and the mother were together and that everything was fine until he discovered that she had this thing and then things take a 180. Um, but, and I think between, so that, that's the, the, I think what the, the weaker parts of the movie are is that the, the, the fatherhood storylines, um, and, and the one, the one that I probably get into, was his name Smythe or Scythe? The, the robo dude? Shrike? Shrike. There we go. I was trying to think, I think it was Shrike. this whole time what the, what the guy's name was. So after the ad bump, we're going to get into Robo Daddy. And, uh, and uh, people all over are just Robo like, who is Robo Daddy? And what does he do? Okay, we'll see you later. So another key part to the setup of this is that if Hester's mother was killed, who raised her? Yes. How did she survive in this crazy wilderness, which is basically just a lot of ruts in the ground? And there's scavengers all over. Yes. Not a safe place. And I think this was very similar to what uh, something that didn't really click in Rogue One, where Saw Gerrera is this this character who they set up like he's he's a, a rebel who eventually starts doing all these crazy terrorist type things, and they try to set up this meaningful moment between him and Jin Erso. And because you don't see them being like daughter, father, right. daughter stuff, it doesn't really mean anything to the story, regardless of how you feel about the rest of the movie. Right. That part of it was is, a is a little bit weaker. And so I'll give them credit for doing very good montages. Yes. And that's where like it did make it you felt for him in a sense. But uh what the what the kind of setup is is that this was another weird thing. <laughs> they set up that there are people who have, in order to not feel feelings. Well, no, he was he was a soldier. They made them on purpose to be soldiers. Okay, he was part of an army, and then what? They, what? My the point few is, that are left is, are now bounty hunters. Like, there's a whole big thing yeah. around these people that I'm like, why haven't we seen these people from the beginning? Because these right. are awesome. Like, this is creepy, but. Well, what that—that's my resurrected part, part of my point is it's robots. you know it's very poorly explained. Yes, and uh, what what the emotional part of it that you get is that part of this was part of the benefit is that because this person's son has is gone, it, the benefit that he gets from this is that he no longer has to feel the emotional weight right. of this, and so. There's literally a guy in a robot body with green glowy eyes. And for reasons that you don't know, he wants to kill Hester. And it's revealed kind of halfway through this, spoiler alert, that he raised her and that she promised that she would also go into a robot body. And basically... Because he can see that she is hurting and he wants to keep her from hurting and right. so he's going to put her in a robot body. So this this is what what's interesting about uh, a lot of sci-fi things and and in adapting this like first of all none of this is in any of the advertisements for no, this. Yeah. So it kind of blindsides you. And then the it, as far as communicating to the viewer the type of movie that you're watching it feels weird because it's kind of like a Terminator type storyline within more of like a Star Wars type universe. So like there's this struggle between this Empire type thing and the Rebels, and then all of a sudden there's Robo Daddy who's like, "You were you promised to be with me," and so the story between them, in my opinion, was not bad. No, but it did not necessarily belong in this movie. Right. So. Explain to me your emotions with it and, and it, how they might have changed throughout the arc that he gets. So, like, at first I was thinking it was going to be 
some other part of the conspiracy. Uh-huh. Like, because obviously he had been sent to kill her. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know, okay, who hired or who set up this thing mm. to go kill her? I'm thinking it would be that might have made it stronger, yeah. Like another Predator City or something, mm. as opposed to the whole emotional weird roller coaster that you go on. That I was like, I was not expecting Blade Runner level philosophy going on in the mm. middle of my adventure story. Yeah. Like, not that that's a bad thing, right? It was that the quality of it is not as much as the insertion within this larger right. within this thing that I was just like, that's wow, not, you that really is went, really you're trying not, to go that deep in in the ten minutes we're gonna have with this character in this movie, right? Like, this is a lot. It, it's not really connect. Like, what they try, what they try to do is what this is supposed to do is strengthen your estimation of how much she cares about Tom. Like, mechanically within the story, right. you get this beat of, oh, you actually care about somebody. You have like, a new family. Right. That I don't and so, 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 and so like, he kind of gives up his quest. Um, so that, but, because it's not connected at all to the rest of the villainy that's going on, and it's, and you don't really get the, tr- the full scope of the tragedy of what his backstory right. is. Like, I feel like I felt like this about a lot of the movie. Oh. Uh-huh. Where I wish that like maybe instead of it having been a theater release, if this had been like a Netflix series, mm-hmm. that they would have had the time to expand on a lot of these things. Because right. that's the kind of thing that you pay off like six episodes in the future. Uh-huh. Like this crazy thing has been chasing her for six episodes and you keep getting these weird mysterious flashbacks about stuff. And then you realize mm. all of the emotional, like that's the kind of right. stuff you need to set up that like you need a right. lot more time to get emotionally invested in that. Mm-hmm. And that's a good, that's a good um, mm. thing. And, and it's uh, like, it's what a lot of critics have been saying about some of these sci-fi and fantasy properties. And in, in terms of the, the branding of mortal engines and adapting it from a book, a lot of these things that you adapt from a book, if you're going to include, a lot of the major plot elements, a lot of the plot beats, you need to realize that in the book, you've had, you know, maybe 25 chapters <laughs> or something of sub, of text, of, of you know, con- context for these things happening. So when you know that that's why he's chasing her and you know why this society has forced him to become this robo thing, then it makes it much more, tra- like they try to have a tragic moment with him and it's kind of, it kind of flies in the face of the fact that he just destroyed a whole civilization. Yeah, just like, like he just he, tore this place apart looking for her, and you yeah, feel like, sad for him now. Yeah, like killing people, and but that, I felt that way about several different trying to pay off emotional things in this movie, mm-hmm. where I was like, we have not had enough time with this character to mm-hmm. feel the depth of emotion you want me to feel right now. Because right. you could tell that they wanted you to. They went into the whole like reminiscent of Lord of the Rings scenes where there's dramatic, beautiful music playing and you don't really hear the the actual surrounding noise uh-huh. and, you know, stuff slows down, gets all dreamy because mm-hmm. you're supposed to, like, be aching for this person's death and I'm just like, I don't really care that much about this person yet. Right. Like, you gave me three main characters and you only have two hours. How about we stick with those guys? And uh-huh. and not, you know... And, and uh, for those who really don't want any more... Spoilers. Um, I, I won't. I won't reveal what happens in the end. But to, suffice to say that building up the villain as somebody that, in you know, from the trailer that he kills her mother, they don't really give you as much. Like, really, the only reason you hate him is because he killed her mother, and that he is evil. He, yes. is, ro- he is evil writ large. Yeah. And it is an interesting. To me, it is an interesting choice to make him somebody that, who is very well respected and that people think is this forward thinker. And it turns out he's a megalomaniac fascist guy. But in terms of the story, we don't, oh, sorry. we don't really get what all that means. Yeah. We really, all we understand is that he has a death star type yeah. plan. And it's like, I don't, I don't see how the psychosis of he, like his daughter claims like you just, I, I put hashtag, not my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> because that's eventually she makes that choice um, that like she, you know, realizes like he's gone, and the pro the proletariat guy kind of helps. Like that was an interesting story beat because yeah. 
usually you don't get that emotional thing of like, well, listen, he's gone. Yeah. Like, he's not who you thought he was. But at the same time, like, you don't, like, I was complaining about with, with Handmaid's Tale. I know that there are guys who are this scummy and that there are countries where men treat women in this way. But if you're going to show how, if you're going to make ties, like this made ties to, like I was talking about, this Marxism, it's like, it's very obvious that they're trying to show like imperialist, the imperialist nature of the society. And so to reckon what this, what does this character define as power? If you're going to go as deep as to say that he's this engineer and he fell in love with an archeologist, like you need a beat to show, well, why does he like this? If all he cares about is power, how did I they connect? I think it was a long con. Right, but that's the thing. I want. I need to. You need to know. In order to make it that. dramatically work, you need those beats of. I'm just gonna trick this woman right. into falling in love with me, and like those different things, and steal the stuff she's digging up. <laughs> because otherwise, your your characters seem like idiots. Yeah, then maybe they should have done that, like, shown him sneaking her stuff away <laughs> in the flashbacks or something. Because, like, for example, with Tom. They, they do this very good thing of, like, sit because he's a museum person. You understand. He cares a lot about history. Yeah. And he, at some point, when the rebels are fighting back against his hometown, he's like, def- like there are innocent people here. This is where I grew up. You understand that he is a, a well-meaning individual and that he realizes that even though his society is corrupt there are well-meaning individuals within it that can be, you know, turned into nice people. Like they don't, they don't need to go like down with the ship. Whole city up. Um, and so there's, there's, uh, there's kind of that kind of problem in terms of like a lot of like, I would say this is a thing with like cyberpunk stuff where like something in like Blade Runner, they do this thing where like all companies are, evil <laughs> and they and like that's even within the book like the way that they show tv is that like all tv is mind sucking and evil right but but so blade runner was intentionally a dystopia the point mm-hmm. is supposed to be all of society is screwed up right i don't know that mortal engines was necessarily built as a dystopia like not uh-huh. all not all steampunk stuff is dystopia i don't think uh-huh. I mean, there's been some sort of cataclysm, possibly. Not always. But there's usually some sort of cataclysm that's happened. But it's not really, like, dystopia so much as, like, post-apocalyptic, I guess, maybe? It's like, society, mm. like, this thing has forced our technology to be X. That's, uh-huh. like, the main thrust of it. So all of our technology is gears and steam-based and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, I wouldn't necessarily say that this was, like, fully dystopia, because there were other places that weren't the dystopia. Like, it's not the whole world is mm-hmm. this. The whole world is messed up. But it's not, like, a society kind of why. Yeah, well, that that's that's what's interesting about it, is that, to me, part of it seemed like a, uh, a like, almost like an identity politics thing. Okay. That, like, what they were, tr- what they, what they tried to balance was they want to make it look like we're not saying that every Britain, every British person is evil no. because their ancestors were imperialist and that they've, you know, that they invaded, that that means that we want people to just go and blow up parliament. <laughs> um, v for Vendetta makes that case. Yes. Um, but the, it realizes that like, if you just, it's just going to cause anarchy. And so it sets up this character, Tom, who has to change over the course of this thing has to have this more um, his his worldview widened to realize that th- that like you know his history is valuable, but these people are also th- their cultures and their world doesn't shouldn't be destroyed just to make this you know this machine greater and this thing you know this thing London you know more efficient. Um, and so it was an so interesting. Do you think that this is Peter Jackson's V for Vendetta? 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's adapting it, so it's not necessarily oh, so his. But I, in, in adapting it, what, what I'm saying is that Tom, was, I think, was a very strong character who more showed a, a an optimistic view of this thing. But what's interesting about how they paint the, the bad guys is very much like a a typical star like Star Warsian emperor. Yeah. Who is just like he doesn't really have a motivation as much as he he, he represents the imperialist machine eating up stuff. Um now what I will say is that it does break good with the multiculturalism. Yes. Because rather than making it like like the you know blacks against whites or like east very, west, or even a little bit east against west, but not, or even very trans, because like there was a like a Nordic guy, oh, yeah, so it yeah. wasn't like Europeans against non-Europeans, right? Um, it was interesting because it didn't, it was very organic. Where like they were talking in different languages in within the rebel camp. Once they get there, there's like an Indian person and like what seemed like a Spanish right uh, chick and um. I say chicken in the, in the most honorable chica. sense. There we go. Chica. chica. Um, and like, there's one chick that just like starts at the Indian chick starts praying to Shiva. Yeah. And I thought that was so like badass yeah. that it's like, you know, like that. Go blow some stuff up. Can you help? It wasn't like a moment where it just like, like, like for example, if they had shown them all praying to Shiva, yeah. that would have been like a statement like, we're all, you know, united under this. And this, like, one, like, there, there, it was, yeah, it was it was less ham-fisted, I think, than, right, than has been done in other things. Because um, I think the, the stationary town was very metropolitan, very mm, mixed. Right. Everybody who wanted to come, it, it almost felt like Shangri-La or something. Like, it was this very, not really ideal, because it didn't look terribly happy. Uh, not, you know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. like, pristine over there or anything. It was nice, right. but it wasn't, like, paradise. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was very multicultural and very, you know, welcoming of whatever. Yeah. And and, and uh, there was kind of like that. So uh, there, there's a, what did you call her? Uh, May, Mayflower? Windflower. Windflower was the name of the airship that they get rescued by I at some point in the movie. Forget her name, or something? May, it was, perhaps. It was just Anna. It was Anna. Yeah. So Anna is this, is this. Uh, like I, I don't okay, know what you call it. Like like a fighter like chick. like out of the Matrix. Yeah, that's the the most accurate way to portray her. She's like uh, I know Kung Trinity Kung. in in yes, very in, in the in the Matrix, and that that how do you feel about that trope? Because this that that like person that comes and is kind of like uh, what do you call, like mysterious and usually. When you have two white main characters, they're of another ethnicity, and they're kind of like, I'm, I'm like the power fantasy character. Like I feel like she handled it in a way that wasn't, like she she gets some one liners, and I think they're spaced out enough, yeah, that they work. They're not. It wasn't. It wasn't just all one liners. Yeah, I think, and I think the actress was very good. Yeah, in the sense that like it wasn't. And I mean, they set her up earlier. Like. Think in about movie. think about for those of you who've seen movies that Ruby Rose is in. Think about her and how, for some reason, Hollywood handed her like you're the random, uh, like I don't know, I don't. She's kind of transgender, but kind of like the she 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 bucks a lot of societal norms. I think you can say that about her. And she was in. Uh, Orange is the New Black. That's where she was kind of discovered. But then all of a sudden she was in like X, Triple X, that movie with like Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. And she was just randomly inserted in there. She was randomly, I think, in like Fast and Furious. So she just randomly popped up as this like female empowerment character. And when you don't, when you can't handle that, it looks bad. Yeah. Like you're, like you're not, you, no, you're not. Like when Helen Mirren does it in red, you're just like you are awesome. Yeah, like, and you and you not exude. You, you, will shoot me. you exude charisma, and I think uh, the actress that played Anne did a did a good job. Um, but the end of the movie, 
as we said, uh, you might have put, put together based on the random things that I was saying throughout the podcast. But suffice to say, the end is very Star Wars. And at the end of the day, what I came up with was this is like a steampunk adventure thing that to me was very much billed like a YA dystopia thing. And I think because of the, I think the executives were kind of put into a uh, dilemma where Mm -hmm. like, well, we only know that YA dystopia is what people are making, but they didn't have the awareness that people are kind of done with that stuff. Like the darkest minds improve that, but it's much more optimistic than those movies. It's much more beautiful than those. Yeah. Like the production value is so is so much better than a lot of those usually yeah, are. It, it, I don't think it was meant. It, it, they should not have built it as so dystopian. But like you said, I don't know that they knew how to build steampunk because steampunk isn't right. And they and I I think what what might have been better is, however, they marketed Lord of the Rings because, like the idea of this is just an adventure story. And, and I think that that's um, having that pure, like having that pure adventure feel to it and knowing that you can bank, like you don't need to have this, you don't need to get across this high concept thing and impress people with just the visuals. Right. I liked the characters. And I feel like if I had seen more of the characters in the trailer, that rather than write it off as this is just another um, Katniss Everdeen wannabe, I would have seen it for what I thought she was. I thought she was a really intimidating female lead. Mm. I thought that he, while like male modely, <laughs> was very good at endearing you to the character. And and even though and one of the things that I mentioned when when we were just got out of it was that it like a lot of these like it, we were just watching Force Awakens they're starting to set up this thing of the male being less competent than the female. Um, but I thought this one handled it, handled it well, whereas I feel like that's they were a... They competent at different things. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, she right. was the, I know how to survive out here, I'm tough person. Well, okay, he was the, that's a good way to put I'm it. I'm the one who knows about technology and history and what's going to actually destroy the weapon. Uh-huh. Like- <laughs> that was That's a good way to put it, because I feel like Finn has been very... Like, they don't know what to do with that character. Right. And it's been very wishy-washy. And, like, they come up with ideas, obviously. But they're not... They don't make him feel like a strong character who's had a, a good arc. Yeah. Whereas... Um, a, or a satisfying arc. But with Tom, you you are aware that he's intelligent. And the work that they do setting up that he has friends already in London. And that he has, like... He, they set up... He's not as douchey as this guy. Yeah. But he is also not, not as good as this guy yet. Yeah, like he's not helping Kate pick up the stuff that you know they're running the proletariat guy, and um, so you see, you see that he's not a Mary, uh, a Larry Stew, <laughs> right? But that he's also yeah. I think they did a good job giving everybody flaws. Mm. They did a good job making it interesting. I just wish that they would have had more time with certain characters mm. to to care more about the things that happen later. But as far as the, but I almost feel like with, with a, um, like I feel like it was a good for for what it is. It was a good length. Mm. I never felt like I was bored. Oh no no, no. it's very and exciting. And it was very good at good. having all those uh, that steampunk action that you want from this type of movie. Without, like, we all know that Peter Jackson can make a three hour oh, yeah. movie, and and you would sit and be happy with it. Right, but but at the same time, like I don't think this, this is the type of thing. Hours. This was only two. Right, but that's what I mean is that he could have gotten yeah, to pictures of bridges and tried to push for the thing, and I'm glad that he didn't because I, for what for how they adapted the story, I don't think that it needed all that time right. for the Terminator storyline. <laughs> they could have it could have worked as a series, and then yeah. they would put throw in all elements for the book that they could. But the way that they adapted the series was, oh, okay, we're gonna sh- sh- we're gonna have this Death Star type setup, and that's gonna work for this three act version of yeah. this book. Um, and it and it didn't do that stupid thing where like because you have other books, it 
they try to make it look like they're confident enough for a sequel. Yeah. Because sometimes you lose a hundred million dollars yeah. and there's probably not gonna be a sequel. Right. Um But um so Yes, final thoughts. Oh, I was gonna say Anyway. Ro- robot first, bad first the money machine good. Peter Jackson can do whatever he wants, I think, at this point, and not care if he loses tons of money. Mm-hmm. Um True. But then He's not he's gonna work again. Yeah. <laughs> um I think oh I was gonna say how I thought they should bill it. I think they need to start if they're gonna be adventure steampunky things, mm-hmm. they need to start billing them as like Indiana Jones mm. or Lara Croft. Yeah, good good. Comparison. Where you have this cool person who does all these cool things in this crazy setting. Because really, like Indiana Jones and Lara Croft are not in very realistic settings. Right. Like those are very adventure fantasy type mm-hmm. settings. Right. Um and Steampunk is basically just taking that and making it a little more techy, uh-huh. but it's the same sort of thing. Usually, there's archaeologists involved. There's usually some kind of weird tech, you know, MacGuffin thing. There's usually, you know, the weird tension between I know how this stuff works and I know how to survive out here, so we need to work together, kind of thing. Like that's a, that's typical for this kind of storyline, I would mm-hmm. think. So I would think feeling it more like. You know, it's the next Indiana Jones. There just happens to be a lot of gears in it. Like, <laughs> go with it. Dude, I would pay through the nose to see Indiana Jones eighteen twenty nine, right? A version of it set back then. Um, and yeah, I, I, I. That's a perfect way to put it. That like, you when you have this kind of adventure story, you want to see not only the the characters, but that that okay, this is the the type of the archetype. Yeah. If you because it's a trailer, you can't really get all of the emotional baggage of it into and and that's like I I like that they set how they set up the characters and everything like that. But at least getting across that, you know, she is determined to get at Valentine, but then also that Tom is this confident guy that's really into history and um like this is the type of adventure that we're getting on, where like like that it was kind of cute when he was like collecting the the toaster and yeah. like like that that's the type of thing that I think would have endeared people more to the movie. So hopefully we still get because that that's another thing that's a shame about how marketing is now is that if executives see that steampunk story A has not garnered this amount of return, yeah, then we're not going to get that more. any story any story that has steampunk in it is that that doesn't. That's not right. <laughs> no, there are certain people whose heads should roll based on this, but it's not Peter Jackson or the story people. Um, I thought it was a competent young adult. Yes. Uh, creation. It was not mediocre. It was slightly better than mediocre. Of the steampunk, as we discussed, variety. So, uh, also before we get out of here, I want to do some promotions of our own. We are uh, starting on the 18th to the 18th. We're going to be doing two sticker promotions, one of which is a mystery. Ooh. By the way, that was a cool thing that every time they showed the quantum bomb thing, they had this sci-fi music. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was like, oh. yeah. It was like, uh, uh, you know, Star Trek opera level stuff. Anyway, back on track. So the, the sticker that we have is uh, uh, the Sword Rican Spider John. It's, yes. it's me. I love it's me, a comic strip, Sword Rican Spider John. It's my new favorite thing. Oh <laughs> because goodness. the reason why I like uh, Miles Morales is that he is, I am white and Puerto Rican, he is black and Puerto Rican. And it, it was cool to see this mixed guy that's a superhero. Uh, but also, he's just a super cool character. And if you want to support unconventional sci fi, fantasy, and literary fiction, you can um, support us at patreon.com slash think outside the box. And starting on Tuesday, we're going to have a special offer, which includes these uh, stickers that you can put on your microphones. If you have a podcast, you can put them on your laptop. You can put them on your 10-gallon hats like I do. Um, <laughs> or your Trevor Keeper, as we discussed. You should we're, not, we're not. Shut up. So <laughs> please donate if you can. At, again, patreon.com slash thing outside the box. You can also reach us at uh, unboxingstorypodcast at gmail.com. Or hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at Unboxing Story. Um, thanks for listening. 
You have anything else, Miss Miss Nineties uh, Nostalgia? No. Okay. <laughs> Thanks again, and we'll talk to you later. Bye.